Man, happy anniversary, Parallel Church. Come on. How many of you, just for curiosity's sake, how many of you have uh, been attending our church in the last year? So you started attending our church in the last year, so you, you've only known Parallel Church. How, how many of you is that? Look at hands up everywhere. Isn't that cool? Come on. For the rest of us, um, if you're like me, I, I'm thinking, I was like, it's only been a year? I was like, it feels like a decade. Like, I was like, it's only been, it's only been a year. It feels like we've been parallel forever. But man, a year ago, uh, we packed out this room for multiple services, and we did a reveal party on a Friday night, October 1st uh, of 2021. And some of the video that you saw at the beginning, we, we showed there. That, that's just some of it that we, that we had from that video, but then it was just, it was this big reveal of Parallel, and it was a, it was a party that I'll, I'll never forget as long as I live, that we, celebrating what God was doing, and if, if many of you are, I'm sure are having conversations like I have conversations that when the conversation of the church comes up, or our church comes up, or, you know, where I pastor, or where you attend, and if the conversation comes up, inevitably the question is, why'd you guys change your name? And, you know, why parallel? Anybody got that? Anybody been asked that? Yes. All, lots of us have been asked that. Like, why'd you guys change your name and why parallel? Well, I want to, we're going to answer that in a little bit today. And I want to begin by telling you a story that I promise you will tie in to why we call ourselves parallel. But some of you might be familiar with, and many of you might not, I, I don't know, but some of you are familiar with the story of Lewis and Clark and, and who they were and their big exploration. But at the end of uh, the 1700s, there were four nations that basically controlled North America or, and were vying for you know, establishment in, in North America. The four nations were you know, Spain and, and England and, and France and the Americas. And all four nations believed and their leadership believed, and, and they all believed that there was a river that connected the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. All four believed that. Everybody, they all believed that there was a river that connected the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. And they also knew that if they could, whoever could discover this river would then control the trade route and, and the commerce and all the rest of it, would most likely end up having dominion over and, you know, leading and ruling North America and controlling this continent. So all four nations were fighting to find this river. And in 1803, we see a letter and a commissioning from President Thomas Jefferson. He wrote to his friend and commissioned his friend, Meriwether Lewis, who at that time was his secretary of state and had you know, worked very closely with the president. And he commissioned him to explore and to discover this river. And the reason why he chose Lewis is because Lewis was, you know, he was an experienced explorer. He was especially experienced when it comes to, you know, navigating rivers and, and charting rivers and all the rest of it. So he was the natural choice. Well, Meriwether Lewis chose his army buddy, you know, William Clark, to come and, and be, lead this party with him. They were a very powerful team together, and they together selected 32 a team of 32 and they began to navigate the Missouri River to in hopes of discovering you know the path to this river that would connect the Pacific and and the Atlantic and as they came along it, we got incredible detail from their journals they kept meticulous records but in their records and in their journals 
They wrote one morning that they had they discovered this creek off of the Missouri River, and they believed, after tracing it for a while, they believed that this creek might be the connector to this river, to the Pacific and all of that. And there was at, they came to the base of this hill, and they wrote in, Meriwether Lewis wrote in his journal that he believed that the, over cresting this hill that we would possibly see when we reach this hill, we're going to see this river on the other side or we're going to see you know, the Pacific Ocean or a plane to the Pacific Ocean. And we've discovered it. We're almost here. You can almost hear the excitement in him as he's going, this is what we're doing today and we feel like we've found it. The journal entry in the night, at night, wasn't the same optimism because he crossed the, the hill and they didn't see the river and they didn't see the ocean. They saw for the very first time the Rocky Mountains. And if you think of it, like, like nobody except for the in, indigenous that were here, nobody, none of the four nations knew the Rocky Mountains existed. And they certainly didn't know the scope of them. <laughs> and so when he writes in his journal, he's like, we saw these mountains. Unlike any mountains I've ever seen before, he writes. Well, yeah, England, <laughs> Eastern U.S., like the, no, France, like nobody has mountains quite like that. And so he, 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 uh, he, writes, he writes, he's like, no, I've never seen mountains like this before, the scope of which I've never seen before. And he says, I see snow-capped peak after snow-capped peak for miles and miles and miles. And he's like, no end in sight. To which at this point, the natural response, the normal response would have been, so sad, President. <laughs> we're hooped. Like, we're like, we're pack up the ships. Let's go. Let's pack up the canoes. Let's go back home. But he didn't. Instead, Lewis and Clark, they, they made a, a major decision. They actually ended up camping with a tribe that, was familiar with the mountains. They camped all winter long with the tribe, and in the process of that winter and wintering with this tribe, they they burned their canoes. They began learning and on how to scale the mountains and equipping themselves for the mountains based on what the tribe was preparing them to do, and they embarked on a, a couple year journey of making it through the mountains. And what's most fascinating about the story to me is that. Little, it's not widely known, but they were led by a 17-year-old indigenous girl with a two-month-old baby. She was the one that led them because she knew the mountains. She led them and found a path and kind of led and went and went along on this very harrowing journey. Imagine walking. Just imagine. Imagine walking across the Rocky Mountains. We see a journal entry in 1803, and they're still, it, they're still in it in 1805. Like, this was no small journey. Now, what does that have to do with, with us? I believe, and I've been sensing this for some time, and I think COVID accelerated uh, this, this sensing. But I believe that the, the landscape of the Christian church has dramatically, dramatically changed. Accelerated by COVID, I think revealed by COVID, but I think the landscape of Christianity has dramatically changed. What I mean by that is I think, and I'm going to make a bold statement, but I think that Christendom is dying, if not dead. What is Christendom? 
Christendom is the 1,700-year-long era with Christianity as the privileged center of Western culture. Christendom is the 1,700-year-long era that began with Constantine changing laws and changing rules on behalf of the church and on behalf of Christendom to where we have, come on, all of us, every one of us in this room have grown up in and under Christendom. We take for granted the fact that all of our laws have been built a lot by the church and by Christianity and based on Christianity, that our society and how society set up, how our communities are built and, and constructed, that we are and founded as a Christian nation, but we, and we're proud of that. We're proud, like we're, you know, we're a Christian nation. We're, we were founded as a Christian nation. We're proud of that. But listen, there's a big, 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 big difference between Christianity, the way Jesus intended it, and Christendom. There's a big, big difference. And the biggest difference is Christendom is the dominion of Christianity. It's the power of the church. It's the power of Christianity. It's the power, it's the church usurping itself as an authority as, and, and fighting for power. Jesus, Jesus was the opposite. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to become the servant. And somewhere along the line in the 1,700-year-long era, somewhere along the line, the church has made gross, gross errors in fighting for power, of which one of the most horrific ones, by the way, we just celebrated, not well celebrated, remembered on Friday. In Truth and Reconciliation Day, it is a gross, gross misstep of the church to ever think that it could usurp its dominion or its ideals and force children into, into residential schools and all the abuse that went with it. That is a gross misstep by representatives, supposed representatives of Jesus Christ because that is nothing like Jesus. And we fight, listen, and we, we can say, well, that's, that's, that, that's them. No, no, wait, wait. As Christians, we are still fighting and some, we get confused oftentimes. We, we're still fighting for Christendom. And we're still fighting for the dominion of Christianity. And, and, and we, want, we want Christians on top. And, and there's nothing wrong with having Christians on top, all the rest of it. But we weren't meant, it, we weren't meant to usurp power. We were meant to serve. And we've spent 1,700 years in canoes being taught how to canoe and explore rivers. And what I mean by that is I went to Bible college. I received you know, training, all the rest of it. And I was taught at Bible college, nothing against Bible colleges or anything, any colleges like this. But I was taught on how to speak to Christians, how to counsel Christians, and how to establish centers of Christianity, hubs against the big bad world. That's what we're taught. That's the canoe. And I think, I think that the church of the future will need to be in the community rather than expecting the community to come to it. And the reason why we rebranded a year ago, the reason why we rebranded to Parallel Church, 
And the reason why we called ourselves parallel is because we have a vision to come alongside. That's our vision, to come alongside. We want to come alongside. We don't want people to come in. We want, people to, we want to walk alongside the people in our community. We want to walk alongside we want to walk alongside our communities. We want to walk alongside other churches. And we're not looking to be the most powerful, the most big, the most prestigious, the most... We want to establish our position in the same way that Jesus did as servants of all. And walking with people. That's why we had to rename. And we're not... Listen, I'm not... There's things that I am very, very, very... I'm very thankful. I am very grateful to be raised in a Christian society like we've been raised in and that we have uh, still laws and principles today that are still based on Christianity, based on the Bible, I am incredibly grateful. And we're not, we're not burning our past and we're not throwing our past out and we're, we're learning from it. But what we are doing is we're burning some canoes and we're, we're learning that we're going to have to take up some new some new tools and learn some new techniques and learn new ways to, uh, to begin scaling mountains instead of floating on rivers. And that's the time that we're in. And as Parallel Church, we're needing to learn that we need to get back to the basics, back to what Jesus taught the way that Jesus taught, which is why, and many of you who have been here for the last six months or so, I've been spending a lot of time talking about church history, in, in particular, talking about the first three centuries of Christianity. And the reason why I've been deep dive studying into the first three centuries of Christianity is because, because Christendom is a 1,700-year rule. It began with Constantine and some of the changes of laws, and it, it gave it's the moment, and his, his purpose, we can't blame Constantine, his purpose as a Christian leader, was to relieve the Christian church from the persecution. And he did that. That, that, was, that was great. But what happened is that when the Christians were no longer persecuted, they immediately started fighting for dominion and power and began, this is what's sick, and it's human nature, all of us, we can't blame, what they began to immediately do is persecute others. It's kind of a payback. And I was like, that's not, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. But I wanted to study the first 300 years. And I wanted to study what, how the church led and grew and what they did pre-Christendom. In other words, I wanted to learn how they climbed mountains because they did it. And I wanted to learn skills from them. And at the same time, I wanted to burn some of my own canoes. Some of my own preconceived you know, traditions and things that I, that I realized are more traditions and less Jesus. And I wanted to get back to Jesus' way. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, and this might shock some of you, but he said this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Some of you might be surprised, like, I thought Jesus was a religious leader. Like, that's what we're all taught, Jesus was a religious leader. What Jesus meant by burned out in religion is religion is simply man's attempt to get to God. Right? It's, it's man trying to find a way. And man's been trying to do that since the Tower of Babel. Like, like it, it's man trying to find their way to God. And Jesus is saying, that's going to wear you out. You're never going to be able to achieve it. You're going to burn out. You're going to tire out. It's not about man trying to get to God. Jesus is like, hello, God is coming to you. 
He says, are you tired, worn out, burdened on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he says this, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. He's telling his disciples this. Hey, guys, are you worn out, and burned out, trying to live up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the, the UCs? Like, like, like are, you trying to, are, you, are you tired and worn out and burned out by that? Come, come walk with me. This is God. This is Jesus saying, hey, you don't, just, don't just follow me. I'm inviting you to walk with me, alongside me. I want you to walk with me and learn how I do it. Watch how I do it. And they did. And they learned some things. Jesus went places where no religious leader would ever go. Jesus talked to people that no religious leader would ever talk to. Jesus, Jesus went to the forbidden places, to the forbidden people, did the forbidden things that religion would never allow him to do. And Jesus did that because he wasn't about the rules and the regulations and the laws, and he wasn't trying to impress his way to God. He already knew, I'm accepted, I'm, I'm the son of God. He knew that what he cared about was the people. And the disciples got it because Matthew was like, nobody invited, no religious leader would ever invite me to walk with them. I'm a tax collector. I'm an outcast. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rejected one of society. No, no religious leader. And yet, and Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. Come with me. And Matthew knew the moment that I'm associated in your inner circle, Jesus, it's your reputation that I'm ruining. Jesus is like, it's okay. Man, I've got some canoes to burn. Watching how I do it. Jesus said, walk with, come alongside me. Watch how I do it. So we want to take the cue from Jesus and come alongside others as well. We want to come alongside our communities and the least of these. Jesus said in Matthew 25, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was homeless, you brought me in. When I was sick, you ministered to me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And then he says, it says the disciples are like, well, when did, we, when did we see you doing that? He says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. This was, this was something that Jesus was commissioning his disciples, his, the early church leaders to pay attention to the least of these. Not dominion, not usurp over, but to serve the least of these. As Jesus served the outcasts, the rejected, the least of these. So Jesus told us, and we're taking as parallel church, we want to take our cue from Jesus. We want to come alongside our communities and the least of these. And in the last year since we've been parallel, we have helped 34,271 individuals <laughs> through my city care, 34,271 individuals through my city care, and get this, in 41 different communities. Come on. Isn't that cool? That's, what, that's the mission. That's the church on mission. Come on. We want to come alongside the one another's. 
Because Jesus said, hey, love one another as I have loved you. We don't come alongside the one another's. He told us to take care of the least of these and the one another's. And we want to we do that. We want to take care of the one another's. And we do things like parallel care. Pastor Ralph and Cindy do an amazing job of counseling and, and providing care for, for those in need and coming alongside marriages and individuals who are needing coaching and, and counseling and help and all the rest of it. We we come alongside families by, through parallel kids and parallel youth, walking with your kids and walking with your, your young people and, and helping them navigate their, the journey of life as a teenager and as, as a child and, and putting Jesus right in the middle of that and making Jesus the center of all that. We, we, we come alongside relationships through house parties, some of the amazing stories of connection and and help and things that come through house parties. We come, we come alongside businesses through parallel leaders and business leaders and owners and parallel leaders. We have podcasts and mentorship clubs and different things that we do with parallel leaders. And we also have a program called Needs and Seeds. We started this about a year ago where we said, if you have a need, you know, I preached on taking care of the one another that in Acts chapter 2, it says that there was no need among them. We said, if you have a need, man, contact us. And we'll do what we can to meet needs. And we've been meeting needs every single month since then. And you've done that. And people have reached out. And some of the stories that have happened in the last year are just absolutely amazing. We've had people, and this is not, I'm not going to brag on our church office or, 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 or our staff or the rest of it. I'm, I'm talking about you. We've had people that have on Facebook have messaged in and said, single moms and saying, my car just broke down. I don't have a car. I don't know what to do. Is there any way the church can help me? And within a day... Sometimes within hours, somebody else will message in and saying, hey, I've got a car. Does anyone need a car? And all of a sudden, we're able to match it up. That's happened three times, come on, in the last year. Three cars. Not given by, not given by the office, but, but given by you. Like, that's, we're coming alongside. We had an incident where somebody, somebody said, my washer and dryer just broke down. We, just, we don't have anything. We're, we're, we don't have any help. And within, it was like a couple hours. Within a couple hours, somebody messaged and said, hey, we just bought a new washer and dryer. Does anyone need it? Because we don't know what to do with our old ones. Within hours. And I'm like, we're like, God? Like, God's meeting needs. And we, all we're doing is just stepping out and saying, and saying, hey, like, God, we can do this. And it's not, it's not just a few pastors doing it. It's you guys. We had a house party who heard that there's a, a single lady in our church whose fence broke down and a house party of, of guys just said, hey, they showed up at her house and built her fence for her. I'm like, come on. This is coming alongside, taking care of needs, coming alongside one another's. That's the church Jesus intended. That's the church Jesus intended. We've come alongside other churches. And agencies, it's not just about us or about our name or usurping our authority as parallel churches. No, we come alongside other churches and agencies. Hey, we're, we don't want to do this all on our own. We don't care about who gets the credit and who doesn't get the credit. That's not at all. We've partnered with 240 different community partners. 204. We've, we've partnered with 54 schools in handing out meals to, was it 100,000 meals in the last year? 100,000 meals. We've handed out in the last year. Come on, church. We've partnered with 130 other social service agencies. We've partnered with, worked with on different projects, 130 different agencies in the last year. And, and, I love this, 21 churches. And the 21 churches that we partner with, 
not in the same denomination, don't have to be a parallel church, have no, like, have no intention of making them a parallel church. We just, we just said, hey, we want to come alongside you in Medicine Hat. We want to come alongside you in Brooks. We want to come alongside you in Penticton. We want to come alongside you in Calgary. We want to come alongside your churches in your cities, helping you reach your cities. Here's, here's how to do my city. Here's how to do Shop of Wonders. Here's how to do, here's how to do it, and we'll come and run with you. Why? Why? Well, because we're on a mission to outlove, outserve, and outgive. We're on a mission to outlove, outserve, or outgive. We love all. We have it on our banners. So we don't just say it. We do. We want to. We want to outserve, outlove, and outgive. We want to outlove, outserve, outgive the least of these, and the one another's. And our core driving verse is. John 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you. He's telling his disciples, not an additional command to the 613 that the Pharisees already had. He says, no, 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 scratch all that. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Sounds simple until you see how Jesus loved. <laughs> and when society would kick out the lepers out of fear, Jesus went to the lepers. When society kicked out the Samaritans out of racism and a twisting of the laws, Jesus went to Samaria, ministered to them. When society had kicked out the tax collectors and branded them worse than sinners, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house and invited Matthew to walk with him. So when Jesus says, love as I have loved, when Peter denied, Jesus went to Peter. When Thomas doubted, Jesus went to Thomas. Come on, when Jesus says, love one another, as I have loved, Jesus, Jesus bent down and washed his disciples' feet. This is, this is God, the creator, washing the stinking, dirty feet of his creation. If he can serve like that. And he didn't just give us a gentle suggestion to love like he did. He says, this is a command. This is my expectation. This is a direct order from our king. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5. He said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He doesn't say the only thing that counts is having the right theology. The only thing that counts is being the best church. The only thing that counts, Jesus didn't say any of these things, is to be good enough to get God to let you into heaven. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressed, expressing itself through love of others. One another least of these. If that's the only thing that counts, that's the cue from the early church, that's the cue from the early church, that's ours. That's why we want to come alongside. The only thing that counts is that Christians maintain leadership and government. Not what he said. The only thing that counts is that we serve one another and the least of these. The only thing that counts is that not that we have dominion, not that we have authority, not that we have rulership. The only thing that counts is that we serve the one another's and the least of these and that we do express our faith through love. 
So I don't know about you. That's a pretty big mountain. And I've been taught, I've been taught how to build gatherings. I've been trained on how to preach theologically on track and all. I, I, I'm thankful for all that, and you should be too. <laughs> and I'm thankful for my past, and I'm thankful for my Christian upbringing, and I'm thankful for the church, the, the history, but I'm looking at the terrain ahead and going, the tools that we've used in the past are not going to be the same ones we're going to need in the future. And that we're calling ourselves parallel because we want to ditch some canoes, put on some backpacks, and climb the next terrain. And here's a quote that I read this week that I was like, this man, this sums it up better than I ever could. Christopher Wright said this, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Oof. What is he saying? He says, it's not so much that we're asking God to bless our church as much as we're saying, God, what are you doing that we can do that you're blessing? It's not so much that God has a mission for parallel it's that parallel aligns with God's mission. That's what it's about. It's not that we're special or that God's put a special blessing on us. We're not asking for a special blessing. We're not saying we're the best. We're not asking for any of that. We're just saying we want to align with his mission. And our king gave us a command to love one another as he loved us. It's interesting about Lewis and Clark. As they write in their journals. They gave the reason as to why they didn't turn around when they saw the Rocky Mountains. And they gave the reason. And the reason they, they stated is because they were commissioned by their president, their king, to establish and to find a trade route. And it wasn't what they had anticipated. It wasn't the train they knew how to navigate. They weren't experts in all of that. But because they had been commissioned by their president and by their king to find a trade route, they persevered, adjusted, and went ahead. And I'm saying, church, the train is looking different in our society today. And I'm more excited than ever. We put it on the video that the best days of the church are ahead of it. I'm more excited than ever for what's going on. But I'm telling you, I'm more uncomfortable than ever. Because there's lots of stuff in us that is more tradition than Jesus. That's more Christendom than Christianity. And there's lots of stuff that's going to be uncomfortable in navigating territory ahead that we are unfamiliar with. But I don't know about you. I want to be on God's mission. Doing it His way. Come on, Parallel. One year in, we're just getting started. Let's go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear as you hear, eyes to see as you see. And Lord, I pray that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and we would pick up our mission and our mandate as Christians in this crazy world. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the wisdom to know how to navigate, what to lay down and what to pick up. 
And God, give us the courage to do it. Knowing that's not always going to be popular, it's not always going to be comfortable. God, we need wisdom and we need courage. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to guess that probably the biggest reason you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus is because all you've seen and all you've witnessed is Christendom and it's repulsed you. And I'm here to say I don't blame you one bit. And I want to apologize on behalf of the church and how we've misrepresented Jesus, how we've misrepresented Christianity and what it's all about. Christendom is disgusting. But Jesus is beautiful. And his way, man, is so much better than I could ever describe. And Jesus wanted to create a, an opportunity, a relationship with you. And he's inviting you to do that. And this relationship, all you have to do, Paul said this in Romans 10, he said, all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession with your mouth. We're going to do that right now. I'll lead you in a prayer. If you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead and is God right here, you can begin a relationship with him. And it's not joining Christendom. It's not joining the church. It's not, it's not joining our church. It's a personal relationship with you and him. And I want to invite you to pray this with me wherever you are in your walk. And those of you watching online, pray this with me wherever you are as well. Let's repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow your heads out of the respect of the people around you. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, we have Bibles at the back we'd love to give you. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, everyone else's eyes are closed. Would you just boldly raise up your hand and give me a wave and saying, yeah, Pastor, I prayed this prayer the first time. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Thank you. Thank you. you pray this prayer the first time you're watching online just click like on the i have decided comment in the section below our team will reach out to you and we'll send you that bible as well explains what this relationship is all about man isn't god good come on